0: So, I hope you've had a good Easter break, hasn't it? Who's who's loved seeing the sunshine? It's been such a blessing, hasn't it? And it's out again today, although it's a bit colder, I think. So we're concluding this morning our series that we've been doing over the last couple of months of meals. Uh, We've been doing a series of meals with Jesus, looking at different feasts uh, in the New Testament. This this morning we're going to tuck into uh, Acts, um, and what we're going to talk about... Is one dimension of meals that we've not actually really particularly spoken about over this series, which is our appetite. You know, actually, you know, I've got four kids, for those of you that know. There are times when I can put a meal in the past where I have put a meal on the table and people haven't been particularly hungry, so they've showed up to the table but not eaten very much because, you know, they've been stuffing their faces on something else at some other point in time. As If I've spent a lot of time and energy provide, providing and preparing food, it is a joy to me when it gets wolfed down by hungry kids. Yeah, I can see some parents nodding. And, uh, you know, we can show up to meals with Jesus. You know, we've looked at some of these meals and actually in some of the stories that we've been looking at, there have, a, have been people who have feasted on him and have partaken on what he's he's had on offer and what he's been offering them and those that have been observers or critics or whatever you know we've been journeying through them but this morning we're going to talk about appetites the level at, or, and in particular the level of our appetite my appetite your appetite for Jesus for relationship with him for more of him more is one of those fantastic you know bible words God always has more for us he is the God of more He's the God of much more. You know, what is, what, what is our level of appetite for Jesus, for relationship with the Father, for intimacy with him like at the moment? What is our level of appetite to see his power at work in us, in me, transforming me, uh, moving in me, moving through me? You know, what is my level of appetite to see his kingdom come in the lives of those people around me where he's placed me to experience more of his life and his life-changing love? Those of you uh, that, that know us know we have four kids and we have a couple of cars. One of our, the students was living with not students, um, our band was living with us last term. He was very rude about my small car. It's old, it sort of chugs along, it does still work and it is useful, gets into brilliant parking spaces, small parking spaces because it's very small. But it is old, and it's used by our kids. We've had you know, the kids home this Easter. It's been fantastic to have them around, but when we've got lots of kids around, the car gets used a lot. And one of the games that sort of gets unwittingly played, I never sign up to play it, but it seems to get played, is, I don't know what I'd call it, petrol roulette? You know? <laughs> The car gets used, and it's, and it's kind of like, who gets in the car when the needle is on empty? And it's like, can they make it to the petrol station to fill up in time? You know, you might want to allow the Spirit, as we talked this morning in the, in the moments that remain, to sort of show you where the needle is on your kind of hunger dial, because I think hunger is a bit like a fuel. It's a bit like a source of energy. It's a motivation in us that produces movement, doesn't it? You know, when you go shopping in Lidl, I don't know if any of you like, the smell when you walk in is incredible. You know, they're really clever, and they pump out this smell, don't they? I don't know what it is. I I'm sure it's artificial, but of course, you know, makes my mouth water. And what's it intended to do? It's intended to stir up my kind of appetite so that I buy more. And, you know, fairly often it succeeds. You know, and that's what they say, isn't it? Don't go shopping <laughs> when you're hungry. Hunger makes us do things that we wouldn't necessarily do on other occasions, doesn't it? Or in, in other circumstances. When our kids were really small, we used to have a sweeter jar that, you know, if they went to parties or if their parents were feeling particularly generous, we'd put, you know, chocolate and sweets in this jar. And I have to say, confession moment, you know, I'm not a very nice person sometimes and I am certainly wasn't, haven't been a very nice mother at some times. When I was really hungry for chocolate... I would raid their sweetie jar. I would raid their chocolate jar. Just saying. But Jesus has forgiven me. <laughs> He's forgiven me. But hunger can be a force to be reckoned with, can't it? And it is a fuel. It's an energy. It's a motivating feature factor in our lives. Proverbs 16:26 puts it like this. Solomon says this. The appetite of laborers works for them. Their hunger drives them on. He's acknowledging this truth, isn't he? He's, con- he's confirming the fact that appetite is an, as- an incentive. You know, in this scenario, it pushes workers to work. And obviously, the principle doesn't just apply in that scenario. We can be hungry for a bigger bank balance. We can be hungry for success. We can be hungry for love. We can be hungry for sexual gratification. We can be hungry for friendship, for approval, for acceptance. For- we can be hungry for revenge. We can be hungry for safety and comfort. Whatever it is that we're hungry for in life will push us towards it. It will influence our choices, the decisions that we make, because we're built with appetites, aren't we? And actually, you know, when we're not hungry for certain things, you know, when we're not physically hungry, you know, it's often a sign that there's something wrong. Because we're built, you know, God's made us with appetites. He's made us with physical appetites. He's made us actually to have spiritual appetites. So what are you hungry for this morning? You know, what are you hungry for in your life? What are you going after? What are you pursuing? And let's have a think about where the the needle is on our gauge of hunger, appetite for Jesus. Because when our tank of hunger or our our appetite is sort of, you know, if I'm paying petrol roulette, (laughs) and and it's veering towards empty... What happens is that my relationship with Jesus then begins to become a bit of a drudge. My relationship with God begins to become a bit of a duty. And I end up having to use my discipline muscle all the time. Now, discipline is, is a good thing. But if our hunger for God is permanently replaced by habits for God, anybody who's tried to rely on self-discipline to live life as, in the way that they want to will tell you it doesn't work. You know, it's important and it's useful and we need to exercise that spirit of self-control. But if we're only functioning on self-control, it's a bit like trying to push a car that hasn't got any petrol in the tank. You can get it so far, but in the end, you run out of energy. And the gospel, friends, this life with Jesus, this life that we've been called to, was never meant to be lived out of self-discipline. It was never meant to be lived out of duty. It was meant to be lived out of passion. It was passion that led Jesus to the cross. It was passion that held him there. It was passion that motivated him to do what he did for us. And we've been made in his image. We've been made to function, you know, on the basis of passion. It's meant to be a factor, a fuel in the way we live. So I just want to say, as we talk about this this morning, this isn't about feeling guilty about where the needle is on my tank. We're not into guilt. But if we can't be honest in church, if we can't be honest before God about where we are, about what we're wrestling with, about where we need help. We've been singing, God, I need you. (laughs) If we can't be honest here about where we need God, where we need his help, where we need his power, where we need his strength, I want to say you know we haven't got much hope have we if i want to get to durham i want to know how to get to durham you know it's where I want to, two of my sons were at university i need to i need the pin to know where i'm going but i also need to know where i'm starting off don't i i need to know where i am in order to be able to get to where i want to get to so let's open a bible Acts Acts chapter 2, it's the passage that Andrew's chosen for today. It'll be familiar to many of us. I love it. It's the kind of blueprint of the early church. It's a dynamic, it's a a narrative, a few verses describing a dynamic time in the church's life. And I want you to, as we just read these verses, uh, verses 42 to 47, I want you to just read this, listen to this, these verses, listen to what... Uh, Luke who's written this book is describing and and just listen almost and look for the hunger that is going on the appetite for God that is going on in this passage so verse 42 they that's the believers the new believers who'd met the resurrected Jesus and put their trust in him or had heard about him and done that they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together. There we are, meals. We love the eating together thing. With glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily, daily, those who were being saved. Now, I don't know about you, but as I read this, I can, it's like I can hear, feel, observe the passion in this bunch of people. And this passage uses lots of words that I'm not allowed to use in my marriage. Everything. All. every day you know it's using extreme words every day all the people they shared everything few little things to note it doesn't say this passage doesn't say that the leaders in the towns met together this isn't just talking about the leaders to have who wanted fellowship and praying together it doesn't say that the real keenies were the ones that met together. It doesn't say that the people who were time-rich, that didn't have children or that didn't have work to do or didn't have, you know, pressing concerns. It doesn't say that the people who were lonely met together every day. It says all the people shared everything and met together every day in the temple courts and in each other's homes. Now, I don't know about you, I think lots of us could, could, you know, in a sort of distracted moment can go, this is ridiculous, this is extreme, this is fanatical, this is obsessive. You know, they should be living more balanced lives. This is like really cliquey church. What are they doing? What about everyone else? But, you know, friends, I think that's the point about hunger. Hunger makes us do desperate things, doesn't it? When we're really, really hungry for something we're really desperate for something, we do desperate things that might look strange or obsessive or fanatical or whatever to outsiders. Because there's this energy beneath what's going on on the surface that is fueling their choices, their activity, their decisions. These people, they don't know anything about budgeting their time for God, you know, putting in the odd meeting or quiet time or whatever. They haven't kind of agreed to a routine and kind of turned it into a formula. You know, on this day we do this and you know on other days we do whatever. It's like they can't help themselves. It's like there's this incredible energy, this hunger, this enthusiasm, this passion, this appetite for Jesus to see him at work in their lives and then to see him at work in the lives of the other people, you know, their, their community. I once found um one of my kids, I won't tell you which one it was, but um, this child had gone missing. Uh, There was a party going on, a family party. I eventually found this child sitting in one of the rooms in our house, and uh, they'd found a plate of Easter eggs. And they were working their way slowly, peeling the foil off each Easter egg, and working... There there had been an awful lot of eggs on that plate, in that basket. And for for that child, there was no off button. You know, they didn't end up being sick. They didn't even end up needing water. Just kept plowing their way through the Easter eggs. Well, do you know what? I think these early believers are like that. There's no off button for them. There's no off button in what they're doing together, pursuing God you know, you've probably noticed that we find it quite hard to hit the off button, don't we, when there's something that we're really hungry for, enthusiastic about, keen on? It's really hard to hit the off button. My oldest son loves golf. I'm like, there's no off button for him. I'm like, have you not played enough golf this month? There's never enough, he'll say to me, because he loves golf. Now we can look at this passage. And we can, we can look at all the things that they were doing. They were going to the temple courts. They were eating together. They were breaking bread together. They were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. They were praying. They were sharing the stuff in common. They were worshipping and God was adding to their number daily. We can look at it and we can unpack it and all of that stuff is really important. And we can say, look, if we copy what they're doing, maybe we'll end up with the same results and God will start adding you know, more, more uh, powerfully to our number. Because that's ultimately what we want to see, isn't it? We want to see his kingdom coming and the gospel spreading and people coming to know him and know the life that he offers them. But I think... You know, the point of this passage, if we're really going to get the most out of it, is what was what was leading to them doing that? You know, if we want, if we want a different outcome, you know, we we want to do things differently. And I want to ask the question today, not how do we copy what they did, but how do we stir up the kind of hunger in us, in us as a community, in me as an individual, that leads to this kind of activity. it won't look just like it but it's it's the fuel isn't it in the car that's making the car move that's making the church grow it's the fuel of the holy spirit in them as they go after him so just you know in the remaining few moments i want to i want to ask how can we stir up you know our hunger so that our experience is a bit more like theirs and if you're sitting here and you know that actually you know your hunger you know the level on your dial I'm really hungry for the Lord, you know, and actually I'm really pursuing him. And I I know that I just can't get enough of him kind of thing. Feel free to zone out, you know, for the next few moments. And maybe you can pray for the rest of us (laughs) as we just, you know, think for a few moments about how we can stir up our hunger for God. Because I think the enemy is always wanting to suppress our hunger because he knows how key it is because it's such a primal driving force within us how can we stir it up? Four, four little headlines. i want going to say first thing, we can miss it. We can miss it. For me, this is about acknowledging and, be, and being willing to acknowledge where my hunger level, my, the needle on my hunger tank is, is moving towards empty. Being willing to own it, to acknowledge it before God, actually having the courage to acknowledge it before other people. And I think that can be really challenging because sometimes I think, gosh, does that mean I've just got no faith? If I'm saying, Lord, you know, I don't think I'm really hungry enough for the Lord at the moment. I don't really have a spiritual appetite to see him move. I, I sort of, I'm a bit apathetic about, you know, whether he moves in me or not, whether I change or not, whether I see his kingdom come or not. And Jesus never wants us to feel guilty about this kind of stuff. But he does want us to be honest, as I've said, with ourselves and with other people, you know, so that we know where we're beginning, so that we can cry out to him for help. And we will never see change. I mean, it's a principle we all know, isn't it? We we won't see change anywhere in our lives that we won't be real about and honest about and confront. And so if I'm not feeling very... You know, if my appetite has diminished for all things kingdom, you know, I need to be quick to acknowledge with Jesus, actually, this is where I'm at. This is where I'm at. And actually to miss it, to remember it. After a bit of time... uh, If we don't have uh, very much food, you know, people in malnourished countries will tell you, our bodies adjust to not having enough to eat. And we end up not feeling hungry. And as I've said, that's a dangerous sign most of the time. The same is true spiritually. We can end up losing our appetite. But we won't regain it. God won't renew it and revive it within us if we can't acknowledge that we've lost it. And you'll know that you're hungry. I know when I'm hungry because I'm deeply dissatisfied with my experience of God. With my experience of what he's doing in me and my experience of what he's doing through me. That's when I know that I'm hungry. It's interesting, Revelation 2, uh, Jesus speaking through the Holy Spirit to the church at Ephesus You know, amazing church, and he commends them for their works, for their deeds, for their perseverance, for their love, for their community. It's like on the face of it, I look at that passage and I think, well, gosh, they're doing everything they're meant to be doing. Wow, isn't that a demonstration of love, of passion? And yet the thing Jesus says to them is, but you've lost your first love. You know, this is what I have against you. You've lost your first love. Repent and do what you did at first. And he was addressing the heart condition, the fuel level in the tank. Not the outside stuff, but the inside perspective, the inside scenario. Let's miss our hunger if we're not feeling very hungry. Let's actually engage with missing it. Second thing, pray for it. So simple, and yet that's what God invites us to do, doesn't he? Pray about everything. One of our kids, you know, through their teenage years, just was honest enough about, I've, I've told this story before, was honest enough about, you know, oh, I feel so sluggish about reading my Bible, don't feel like praying, don't feel like this, don't feel like that. Well, what, what they were really saying was, you know, I just don't really want to, don't really have an appetite for a relationship with God, don't really, you know, ugh. So we used to say to him, well, do you want to have an appetite? Yeah, I want to have an appetite, I just don't have one. So we used to say, well, just pray for it. So he prayed on and off for a couple of years. God, increase my appetite. Make me hungry. I want to be hungry for this. I want to be hungry for that. I want to be the other. I'd say, arguably, the most hungry member of our family. God promises to empower us and to help us and to meet our needs. You know, God, I need you. That's what we were singing. Let's pray for an appetite, more of an appetite, if we haven't got one. These people, where did it all start? Yes, there were miracles there were signs and wonders and I'm pretty willing to bet that if there were the signs and wonders happening in our community that were happening you know in Acts 2 we'd all be going where the signs and wonders were because you know that stirs up an appetite doesn't it but before the signs and wonders what were they doing they were praying they were meeting together to pray that's where it started for them prayer third thing Provoke it. Let's miss it. Let's pray for it for those of us. You know, it won't be relevant for all of us, but for those of us who love, you know, to, to have a greater appetite for Jesus, for kingdom things, let's miss it. Let's pray for it. Let's provoke it. You know, I think we can provoke hunger. That's what fasting is, isn't it? If I want to feel physically hungry, I just eat a bit less. Spiritually, that's part of the purpose of fasting. Cutting out some stuff so my appetite for more of God increases. Let's flip the question round. What is it that suffocates, that could be suffocating? Our hunger for the kingdom. Our hunger for his work and his love in my life. And what he wants to do. John Piper said this if we don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God I love this quote it's not because I've drunk deeply and I'm satisfied it's because I've nibbled so long at the table of the world my soul is stuffed with small things and so there's no room for the great love that quote what's my soul stuffed with that's a good question to ask every now and again You know, one of the meals we looked at with Jesus was the banquet, and all the people had excuses. You know, I've got, I'm newly married, or I've got oxen. You know, they were essentially, you know, their souls were stuffed with, weren't they? You know, some of the stuff of the world. What's my soul stuffed with? Am I distracted? Am I too busy? Am I just satisfied, you know, am I, not satisfied, satiated? Is my soul stuffed with Netflix? Netflix. And all the excitement that Netflix, a good Netflix series provides so that I don't need the excitement of the kingdom. I don't know. What is my soul stuffed with? Is it stuffed with disappointment? Is it stuffed with cynicism? What might be suffocating my appetite for more of the life that Jesus is offering me? He'll show us if we ask. And then we can provoke it. We can provoke that appetite growing by actually facing or dealing with what might be stuffing it? And here's the thing friends, hunger, <clears throat> if we have physical hunger pains, well they are pains, aren't they? And actually a hunger, a longing for more of God, is you know it's, it's uncomfortable, which is why so often we stuff our lives with other things instead of facing the stuff that makes us uncomfortable and might push us towards him in our need and our desperation. We can often suffocate that sort of pain, that longing, that need, whatever, that might drive us towards him with other stuff. You know, let's embrace being a people of longing, a people of, who are dissatisfied in the right kind of way with what we have of God, our experience of him, because there's always more. That's not to say we shouldn't be grateful for what we have. It's that sort of, you know, both hand, isn't it? Being grateful for what we have, grateful for what he's already given us, grateful for what he's already done for us, but hungry for more for ourselves, for our church, and for our community. Let me just say, if you're in a dry season, if you're in a dry season at the moment, I know this might be hard to hear, but thank God for that, because so often it's in our dry and challenging seasons that actually Jesus is setting up opportunities. He's not causing that stuff, but he uses that stuff to draw us towards him, because our, our connection with our need for whatever is greater. Okay, last thing, catch it. There's so much more we could say. By the way, in Ephesus, let me just say this, it, it talks about going back to do the things that we did at first. I don't know what you did, You know for those of you that know the Lord, what, what you did when you were first, excited by his love, excited by the kingdom, excited by everything he promised, when you first met him, what were the things that you did? I know one of the things I did is I read so many biographies. I might not have been in a church where there were loads of miracles seeing God doing incredible things, but I read books you know of stories of people that did partly because somebody told me that's a great way you know to start your journey with him what did it do it stirred up an appetite you know it provoked an appetite to see more of that in my life just felt to say that okay last thing catch it miss it pray for it provoke it catch it discipline might be admirable I know I'm somebody, I look at other people who are really disciplined, who have got the kind of levels of self-control or willpower that I would love to have, and I'm so impressed by them. You know, I admire them. I think it's a fantastic quality. But do you know what? Hunger is contagious. You know, there's something that rubs off off on me about other people's appetites. I think our appetites, in any area of our life, are, are influenced by association. You know, both good ones and bad ones. So find people, you know, who are hungry for more of the kingdom or who are just running after Jesus, who are pressing in for the more that God has for us and hang out with them. You know, if you're not in a group, join a group. You know, this picture of these people being together, it's kind of like, well, they've got this hunger, this fuel that's propelling them, but then they're keeping it going, aren't they, by being together together. By being together with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit, with his power, but also with each other. Friends, this isn't an overnight thing. If you're, you know, if you're in a place where actually you'd, lo- you know, your needle's on the sort of lower end of the gauge and you'd love it to move back to the fuller end of the gauge, this isn't an overnight thing. This isn't a kind of one-hit-wonder thing. But let's be reminded this morning that hunger is a beautiful thing. What does Jesus say in the Beatitudes? Blessed, blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for right relationship with God, for right relationship with Jesus, for you know right relationship with the Holy Spirit, for the kingdom life, because you will be filled, filled It's a beautiful thing, hunger. It keeps us on track with God's plan for our life. It's what actually leads to spiritual transformation. It determines our spiritual growth. It actually keeps us alive and awake. Do you know what? When I'm really full, (laughs) I become really drowsy. And I like to have a little sleep in the afternoon, not just at nighttime. Hunger keeps us awake. Hunger keeps us alive. Hunger keeps us alert. And like I've said, it leads, us, leads to us being freshly filled and empowered. God pours himself out on the hungry. That's what he's doing in Acts chapter 2. He's pouring himself out on a hungry people, on a hungry church, who are hungry for their world to experience him. And he wants to do the same with us. And we can't make him do that. We can cry out to him for to do that. But we can do something with our own level of hunger. And Jesus wants a church in this nation, friends, that is hungry for him. Not hungry for a great cause, not hungry for specific outcomes, just hungry for him. Hungry for him to come, hungry for him to move, hungry for him to save souls, hungry for him to transform lives. Is that us? He's not looking for a church that's competent or has got amazing strategies or loads of resources or who are really organized and efficient, good as a lot of that stuff is. If that's a replacement for hunger, we won't see what we see in Acts chapter 2. So let's be, I want to (laughs) be, one of those people that's got hunger pains for more of the Lord, for more of the kingdom, because I want to see my nation turned upside down. But I know in some ways that starts with me. And actually, friends, it starts with you too.